1: This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're joined today by a brilliant physician leader, a pediatric cardiologist who teaches, who's a Columbia graduate, who at one point started his own practice, now is part of a bigger practice. He's also authored a a brilliant book. Dr. Feck, can you take one minute before we start talking about different issues, tell people about the name of your book, and also tell them a little bit about your career.
2: Well, thank you very much uh, for having me uh, on your podcast. And the book is called The Privilege of Caring A Doctor's Urgent Call to Heal the U.S. Healthcare System. And I really do mean that in the title. It's a privilege to be a physician, and I see it as such. And I want others to understand that many of us still feel that way. The book is about the journey of our healthcare system over the past couple of decades from both the front lines of healthcare and community settings, as well as from academic and policy standpoints, a way for others of all uh, backgrounds, patients, students, physicians, uh, to get involved, policymakers, in understanding what we're facing, what's working, what's not working, and where I believe we should be going as I look towards the end of my career in a decade or so. I want to leave some crumbs behind to say, look, I think it's a great system but there are things that we should do to get back on track to make it all it can be.
1: And, and and one moment more before we get into the heart of the podcast, tell us what drove you to write the book and tell us the title of the book one more time for our, our listenership, and then we'll get into the core of the podcast. Great.
2: Well, the stimulus for the book was literally patients uh, and students of mine asking questions every day, and we'd get into these discussions and debates about things they're facing, uh, some of the frustrations that they're facing day to day, and some of the things that they found very encouraging in my interactions, hopefully with them. And, and they often would say, you know, this isn't common. This is not usual. What you're doing is not what others are doing. And we maybe you should write these down. Tell people what we're facing here on the front lines so that other people can understand what's working, what's not working, perhaps what we would like as patients and physicians and communities to work and be done. And that was the stimulus. It was conversations, it was lectures, it was experiences, a lot of stories of patients. Uh, much of the book is patient based. One patient uh, in particular runs throughout the entire story a 70 some year old man born in the 50s with complex congenital heart disease and his legacy and his story. And basically, he said, Doctor, don't let go of what allowed me to be alive and thrive. I see some things threatened. Uh, I understand that you still see the potential here. Don't let this uh, go away. Don't let us lose what makes this system very strong. Tell people about it, write about it. And that was the stimulus for the book.
1: Dr. Fetke, why don't you start off by first introducing yourself. I know you're a Columbia University med school graduate. You've also taught. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Then we'll talk about what you're most excited and focused on currently. You know, what's top of mind for you?
2: Well, thank you for having me, Scott, and uh, allowing me to share some of the work we're doing. So as you mentioned, I uh, went to Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons and basically came out to the area that I grew up in after uh, several years of education and residency and then fellowship in pediatric cardiology at Columbia, I was fortunate enough to return to the hometown where I was raised in the Hudson Valley of New York. Uh, And basically, I was given the chance to do something that a lot of people uh, really don't think about anymore. In 1997, 1998, I was uh, asked to hang a shingle, the old-fashioned start a practice up uh, in an area, but in this case, with a subspecialty uh, of pediatric cardiology when there really was no other subspecialty around. I had a dual Focus there at the start of practice, but also to be a liaison from the city to the community to create a network that would hopefully improve the care in the region. And I've spent the past uh, couple decades, almost 25 years now, uh, working to do that. Uh, And that evolution uh, has been uh, rocky at times, but always moving forward. And now I'm currently working with the Boston Children's Health Physicians, no longer directly with Columbia, though I'm in touch with many of my colleagues in the city, and uh, we have built uh, an infrastructure that allows us to provide services for children, not just with cardiology, but uh, with my current colleagues and team, also other subspecialties in pediatrics in a community care setting.
1: Thank you, Dr. Fetke, and take a moment, Don. There's so many interesting things about your career, but talk to us about the shortage in pediatric specialists particularly the, the the sort of uh, more complex specialties like pediatric cardiology. Yeah. What does that the, look um, like in terms of I number of physicians compared the to main the main issue
2: really is that uh, we have access to this only if you're in a region where you can be within an hour or two of a, an urban center. We're fortunate enough uh, to have a lot of uh, programs in New York City uh, that we can access in uh, from the Hudson Valley and regions around here, but um, I think if you look back at the national uh, picture, it's it's not so easy. Um, you can be many times many states away from accessing specialty care, and in New York, the main issue has been to try to coordinate that care so that not everyone has to go down to the city for every uh, little thing, and that's really what we've been focusing on to try to do as much at home uh, if somebody has to go down to the city uh, for, uh, in my case, heart surgery or a procedure for the heart for failure child, or to be born there if the child is prenatally diagnosed as having a condition that would be uh, potentially unstable initially at birth, uh, but be able to come back home quickly as well. So it's the kind of back and forth, the transitions from uh, the urban and suburban centers uh, back and forth to uh, you know the communities. I think is a something we take for granted that's happening a lot more now over the past twenty decades. We've been part of that in New York area, but that's not something that's easily accessible in many states and in many other regions, even of New York State. Uh, in particular areas such as uh, mental health uh, is a really uh, big issue with a big shortage, and that's something that we're all struggling to uh, work harder on to bring access, especially after coming out of the pandemic and all the stress that created for the children.
1: 100%. I mean, so many specialties. You know, the, the suicide rate for children up to 24 years old or so, it's one of the leading causes of death is suicide. Uh, maybe right after accidents, it's a, it's a horrendous situation. And yes, the pandemic added to that tremendously and just not enough mental health resources in the country. I appreciate you putting some light on that. What issues are you most focused on looking at 2024? Where's your head going when you think about the big issues you're thinking about? Well,
2: I think that's a very important question is really looking forward. But as I always say to my students and my colleagues and my patients uh, who I consider Basically, my philosophy is there. Uh, my students as well. Uh, everybody has to be a student of healthcare, including the patient, and I want to be their teacher. and And I try to answer that question almost daily, with the idea that in order to know where we're going, we have to know where we've been. Um, and I think that's something that I've spent a lot of time trying to explain to people the legacy and the trajectory of healthcare. And um, some of that is very exciting and I think very positive and constructive where we're going, and some of it I have concerns about. Um, I've actually put some of this down after 20-some years in uh, a book to try to consolidate this so we can look forward and have a conversation and maybe jump quickly by putting it all into one context in the book so we can answer that question. Where should we be going? I think one of the things we're seeing that is positive is that uh, we are going into community settings. There's a lot more outreach and networks, And we're also uh, having other colleagues be part of the healthcare system. That includes physician assistants and nurse practitioners joining physicians uh, as part of the network and a team. I think that's a very positive trend, and something that uh, some people are embracing fully. Some people are, you know, not sure what that means. But I really think that's a very good trend because we should be working in parallel to deliver services. Um, I think the other trend is to bring more education, uh, and increase the number of medical institutions that are training uh, the gen- next generation. So we're seeing an increase in medical schools, um, and I also think that you know this conglomeration of practices and and, and networks between hospitals uh, and other practices and community settings is has potential to be positive, but it also has some potential to kind of get so big that we miss the focus of the patient who's supposed to be, as we say, at the center of all of this. So I think there's some very good trends uh, as long as we keep an eye and, and remember who we're supposed to be serving.
1: Dr. Faki, what a fascinating mind and career you have. You, you mentioned at the start yep. that originally when you started as a pediatric cardiologist, you really hung your own shingle and started practice. In the, in the old days, and I'm older than you are, so I could call it the old days because you're much younger than I am, people could start out as a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, and hang their signal and start practice. Are those days gone in medicine or is there still any room for that or is it just too complex to do that today? I think that is something
2: that I actually was talking about with my students. Uh, they asked me the same question last week at a, a weekly session we have. And I, I think that for a while, Uh, That was not possible. I I was literally one of the last, if not the last, from my division at Columbia to hang a shingle. And I did have to have some support behind me by the institution to do that. So it wasn't in a vacuum with all uh, due, honesty to answer that question. Um, It became almost impossible to do that within the past five years. Um, It really is... The bureaucracy that's required to do that, not just to set up the practice, but from all the guidelines, from setting up the staffing and the employment, it's its also something you know that we're not taught uh, in medical school. I think part of the answer to that is it could happen, again, if it was a focus of the medical education, but we're thrown out there more and more with the sense of you know, you, you've been taught the medicine, but good luck with the business. There's no business side to it. And when you see how complex the business has gotten, some of the issues of medical liability, uh, setting up a practice in my field, technology, a lot of uh, machines to and equipment to take images of the heart and do things, it, You really um, th- it took about five years before I could get over that hurdle Um, And I don't think it's really possible to do so coming out of the gate anymore without a lot of support. That being said, I am finding a lot of the uh, students asking if they could consider working together with each other someday in a career and starting from scratch uh, because they don't like the big corporate trends they're seeing. They want to go back to the mom and pop again. So I'm hoping that technology will allow some of them to actually do that again and hang a shingle. And I get the sense that many of the students of the future are interested in that.
1: So so Dr. Fetke, fascinating perspective. The, the next question I have for you, and then I'll let you go soon, I promise, is this question of when you look at today, we hear so much concern about prior authorization, about staffing, about the challenges back and forth about just doctor burnout, clinician burnout. When you look at the challenges today, what what's top of mind for you in terms of the challenges? And then I guess I'll ask you the flip side. What are you most excited about? I think a
2: lot of the uh, biggest challenges are the kind of the roadblocks between the patient and the doctor that you mentioned. And they come in, in all those different forms. Uh, you know, technology can only do so much. To try to do that, but I think healthcare should not function like an app or like, with all due respect, uh, making a reservation at a restaurant uh, or you know buying something. it It, it should become uh, it should not become a commodity. Uh, and when we make it a commodity, I think we really take what uh, something that I believe is very special. Uh, I I kind of say this house of healthcare that belongs to patients and doctors uh, together. These issues that are so personal, so important, cannot be commoditized or uh, made too much of an economic thing. And I think that's the barrier we're all facing and trying to get uh, to each other. I'd rather bring that back again and to your question of can we hang a shingle? Can we be uh, doctor and patient again uh, or nurse practitioner and physician assistant patient? I am hoping so. That's what I'm excited about. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people almost with a backlash saying, I want to get rid of some of those impediments. How we do that, there are many good ideas, uh, but I think the first thing is we have to make a decision that that's a goal and a priority. I think we've gotten uh, to the point where it has frustrated people. Your question is a good one. Uh, We don't want that anymore. We tried it. I think there's a push, and I'm hoping uh, to get away and come back to the one-on-one again. Get uh, other people out of the room, so to speak, and bring the doctor patient back into the room, because these are the issues that we're hearing in the news. These are the issues that uh, are coming up uh, in decisions that are very important, whether it's you know uh, medical care in terms of abortion, whether it's insurance companies coming to my patients after years and years and saying, I don't think it's worth it to continue this and and people outside making these decisions. These are all roadblocks. That we're facing. And I really think those decisions belong in the house of medicine, in the house of the patient and their doctors, and not someone else to judge what is of value or not. I think that's the biggest impediment is that others are coming in and saying, we are judging what is of value and not. And I don't think that belongs in anybody's hands, but the patient and their physicians. And I think that goes in all those different forms that you've mentioned are just ways to try to make it harder for doctors and patients to do those type of value discussions. I think if we get those out of the way, we can come back to what I think is a very good system, uh, one that has a strong legacy, but something that still
1: needs to be cleaned up a lot. Dr. Fedke, what a brilliant career from, from hanging a shingle originally to practice medicine to being in the most important specialties that's out there that's so underserved throughout so much of the country, pediatric cardiology, what what a brilliant life story and career story. And and thank you for sharing it in your book as well. Dr. Fecky, thank you so much for joining us. It was my honor and thank you for
2: allowing me to uh, tell everyone about something that I truly do love to do and I believe uh, has a lot of potential still.